COVID-19. What's the deal with tocilizumab? Just when clinicians thought they have an effective theory for treating severe pneumonia caused by COVID-19, treatment options have gone back to looking bleak again. This is with regard to the arthritis drug tocilizumab that has been making news recently for the treatment of severely ill COVID-19 patients. Contrary to its promising result in independent studies, the drug has given off some unsatisfactory results in its latest trial for COVID treatment. What is tocilizumab? Apart from being quite a mouthful to spell out, the drug sold under the name Acterma by Roche is prescribed for patients suffering from severe forms of arthritis such as rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile idiopathic arthritis or giant cell arthritis. It helps in lessening the detrimental effects of inflammation caused as a result of the disease. The drug is administered in conjunction with either methotrexate, a chemotherapy drug, or disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs or DMARD, which has shown better results in clinical trials in patients. Tocilizumab is usually given to patients by injecting the drug under the skin or through a drip into a vein. The results are visible over a period of three to six months, but it has also been reported that some patients may feel better within two weeks' time. Although tocilizumab is used frequently for the treatment of arthritis, its uses have been explored in treating other immune-mediated diseases as well. How does it work? Tocilizumab is a therapy drug that uses identical antibodies known as monoclonal antibodies belonging to IgG1 class, a type of antibody which binds to a specific substance, in this case, the interleukin-6 receptor or the IL-6R. Interleukin-6 or IL-6 is a type of protein called a cytokine released by various immune cells in our body, including the T-cells, B-cells, fibroblasts, and lymphocytes, to name some. Cytokines are very important in activating specialized immune cells in response to an infection to neutralize pathogens. But at times, an uncontrolled release of IL-6 into the bloodstream and its subsequent binding to the receptors on cells may induce the production of a plethora of other substances that make the inflammation a lot worse, all the while inhibiting the release of substances that alleviate inflammation. This creates a crazed version of the inflammatory response of the body to the infection, increased and persistent levels of certain substances leading to progressive damage of various organs. When tocilizumab is taken by the patient, it actively blocks the receptor of IL-6 and leaves free IL-6 in the bloodstream without triggering its debilitating actions. In the case of COVID-19, if prognosis takes a poor turn, it may lead to a phenomenon called the cytokine storm. 
This is characterized by an exaggerated inflammatory response, immuno immunoregulatory network imbalance, and finally can even lead to multiple organ failure, an indicator of a dysfunctional IL-6 release. This results in acute respiratory disease syndrome or ARDS. That being said, the question now was whether tocilizumab would aid in reducing the risk of death and the need to insert an endotracheal tube into patients with severe COVID-19 pneumonia. What studies have found? Earlier studies showed that tocilizumab effectu effectually improved the clinical status of COVID patients and the lung CT images clearly showed a decrease of the lesions thereby showing a better outcome, suggesting it to be a sought-after treatment strategy for COVID patients with pneumonia. In Italy, a retrospective study on COVID-19 patients who were put on tocilizumab reported a significant decrease in death and the need for invasive mechanical ventilation while comparing the results of those not given the treatment. However, adverse effects were documented including a higher prevalence of infection in the treatment group. The authors indeed remarked the need for a longer follow-up to establish a detailed study on long-term side effects of the drugs, which was not possible in their study due to the short-term follow-up. So why the bad news now? Roche had proceeded to find out if tocilizumab was effective in reducing severe COVID-19 in its large phase 3 trial, a randomized double-blinded control trial known as COVACTA trial, which had begun in March. However, there were no differences between the patients who took the drug and those that didn't. The percentage of death, the rate of infections and the ventilator-free days were found to be equal in both these groups by the fourth week. Despite approving the use of tocilizumab a month earlier, the ICMR had re recently given a statement that both tocilizumab and its in Indian counterpart, itolizumab by Biocon Limited, were not found to be effective in reducing death among the patients. With just 30 patients in the Indian trial, a retrial must be deemed prudent with a larger enrollment of patients to be better to better document the effects of itolizumab in the Indian population. The results may have come as a huge blow to the clinical fraternity with a huge demand for the drug. It would be interesting to know if tocilizumab used in conjunction with uh, an antiviral or a methotrexate for that matter could hold some hope in COVID treatment. In conclusion, only further investigations and trials can give us better answers in order to conclude on its effects on COVID patients given the fact that many small studies have been successful in treating these patients in the past. Does it stick like gluten? Hello folks, welcome to a brand new episode of Cygnus Blog Podcasts. 
Today, we'll be looking into five interesting facts about this wheat protein you probably never knew. It's no secret how much I love carbs, and bread has to be my favorite close to potatoes. Be it in the form of pizzas, chapatis, or the good old loaf. Slap on some butter on that slice and I'm loving it. But if I had to ask you what's common in all these foods, the answer would not be as simple as you think. See, if you're a calorie-conscious fitness freak, you may cringe at the carbs in it, whereas a food fanatic may appreciate its chewiness, like me. And chefs may concur that wheat is the major ingredient in it. With all these While all these answers hold true, gluten is the common constituent in these foods, which has put the scientific community in a debate for decades as to whether it must be included or excluded from our diet. What is gluten? Gluten, which literally means glue in Latin, and you will see why, is the common constituent of wheat. But as you will learn later, its presence is not restricted to only wheat-containing products. Here are some interesting facts about this protein. Number one, gluten is a kind of storage protein. I think it's safe to say that among most staple crops used worldwide, wheat is often the most commonly consumed crop. The seed is the only edible part of the crop which is known as the wheat kernel or wheat berry. Gluten is present within the wheat kernel and functions primarily as a storage protein. Storage proteins are abundant in all kinds of crop seeds and act as nourishment for the soon-to-be sapling seeds that keep reserved materials such as amino acids and minerals enabling it to grow. This is why proteins present in the other staple crops such as rye, known as seculin, barley known as hordain, and oats known as avenin are also collectively termed as gluten. Gluten is further made up of two kinds of proteins known as gliadin and glutenin. These have been named so because the former is water-soluble and the latter is water-insoluble whereby the solubility of these two proteins is tested in 60% ethanol. These two protein components are rich in amino acids, namely glutamine and proline, and form strands that are interwoven with the carbohydrate known as starch. Once they come in contact with water, these two proteins unwind and form a mesh which gives gluten its characteristic glue-like properties. Number two, most of wheat grain is, well, made up of gluten. At least three quarters of the protein constituent of wheat comprises gluten, which is a lot of this gluey stuff. It constitutes at least 75 to 85% of the seed's dry weight. The rest of the seed is made up of starch and non-starch carbohydrates and 10% of lipids. 
Number three, gluten makes wheat chewy and gluey. Have you ever tried taking a bite of raw dough? You will find it to be immensely chewy and sticky. This is because gluten contributes to the dough's properties and its unique baking quality. Interestingly, gliadins and glutenins, when mixed with water, have distinctive functions that give the dough its characteristic properties. Gliadins are less elastic and less cohesive, which means they don't stick together much. This quality gives the dough its viscosity and stretchable properties. On the other hand, glutenin is both elastic and cohesive and contributes to the overall dough elasticity and strength. Number four, gluten may probably be bad for you. Most people have no problem consuming gluten-containing foods. However, some people may complain about having severe gastric problems and impotency as a result of gluten consumption. An autoimmune disease known as celiac disease affects 1 in 100 people worldwide. An autoimmune disease known as celiac disease affects 1 in 100 people worldwide. An autoimmune disease known as celiac disease affects 1 in 100 people worldwide, genetically predisposing them and causing detrimental bowel disorders. But keep in mind, not everyone who is sensitive to gluten has celiac disease. Some people may have allergic reactions like anaphylaxis and this is called wheat allergy. Still, some people may not have severe reactions as those with celiac disease or any allergic symptoms, but just abnormal. But keep in mind, not everyone who is sensitive to gluten has celiac disease. Some people may have allergic reaction like anaphylaxis and this is called wheat allergy. Still, some people may not have severe reactions as those with celiac disease or any allergic symptoms but just abdominal bloating and headache. These people may be experiencing what is known as gluten sensitivity. Number five, gluten can sometimes be found in non-wheat products. Although gluten is found strictly in wheat and other staple crops like oats and rye, Gluten may be present in non-wheat foods like salad dressing, soy sauce, condiments and spices such as asafoetida. It may also creep into your veggie burgers and seasonings. Is your wheat flour adulterated? Recently, a popular atta, which is Indian word for wheat flour company in India, Is your wheat flour adulterated? Recently, a popular wheat flour company in India was put on the hot seat for an anonymous video circulated by a housewife alleging the company for adulterating its product with what looked like glue. The company later on informed its consumers on how the glue-like consistency is contributed by the naturally occurring gluten in the flour. 
Due to its unique glue-like properties, gluten holds a negative connotation with its consumers. Therefore, it seems all the more important to know whether or not your food is adulterated. Here are some common adulterants found in wheat flour. Pebble straws, dust, weeds, seeds and damaged grains are usually visible to the naked eye. More wheat brand than wheat itself. If you sprinkle some flour onto a glass filled with water ideally, you would expect the wheat flour forming clumps and settles at the bottom with maybe a slight bit of wheat bran floating on top of the water as opposed to most of the bran which is adulterated. Sometimes wheat flour is also adulterated with chalk powder. You can check for the presence of chalk powder by adding some dilute hydrochloric acid to the grain sample in a test tube. Chalk powder is present if you notice effervescence or slight bubbling. Why is glue not an adulterant in flour? Adding glue powder can be complicated. You see, the, to grind wheat, a process called tempering is used, which involves the addition of water to give its final texture. Most glue powders that are commercially available are water-based adhesives that may absorb the moisture and cause the flour to form clumps or lumps in the packet. Going against the grain? Planning to kick out gluten from your diet? Here are a few things to keep in mind. Always read the ingredients if you're purchasing processed food that contain carbs. Most wrappers may mention gluten-free on them, which is a safe sign. Some processed foods may contain trace amounts of gluten despite containing no wheat in them. While cooking, make sure that you do not allow any cross-contamination of gluten-containing products by separating out utensils and crockery used for cooking gluten-free food. Make sure you get a daily dose of fiber from other sources such as veggies and fruits to maintain a healthy bowel. Also, there are numerous gluten-free grains such as rice, millet and sorghum to choose from and make your diet less restrictive. So, the next time you chew on some of that pasta or chapati, you just know the answer to why it is so darn chewy.